SEC's lawsuit against Ripple has been one of the most nail-biting lawsuits in crypto's young history. Now XRP holders get closer to the fight. Welcome to Word on the Block, the series that takes a deeper dive into blockchain and the emerging technologies that shape our world at the intersection of business, politics, and economy. It's what we cover right here on Forecast News. I'm Forecast Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau. Well, it's been over three months since the United States Securities and Exchange Commission's lawsuit against Ripple shook the crypto world. The two sides now battle over what evidence is to be shared in the case's discovery phase. Meanwhile, lawyer John Deaton has been working with XRP investors to intervene as a third party. After a few speed bumps, they now have until April 19th to file their formal request to take part. And today, John's taking a little break from court filings to drop by Forecast News. He is the managing partner of Deaton Law Firm and the representative of more than 10,000 XRP investors. John Deaton, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Why did you take this case? Well... Uh, on Christmas Eve, I took the case after I'd heard about it, I decided to pull the complaint and read it. And I got to the very first paragraph. And when I read that the SEC was charging that Ripple was engaging in selling an unregistered security from 2013 to present day, I knew what was coming. I knew that the exchanges would delist I knew that there would be halting and suspension of trading, and I was taken back by it because it was a departure from previous litigation. Normally, they'll limit it to uh, certain specific dates and specific transactions, but the way the complaint is written and alleged, it's alleging that the token itself, XRP, is inherently a security. And, And so after that, I just decided that um, we had to fight back because I did not believe the Securities Exchange Commission was actually looking out for investors. Therein lies really the crux of the matter. Is XRP a security or is it a currency? Um, and, and what was also interesting uh, with the lawsuit is that for eight years, uh, XRP had been circumventing the globe. Here in Asia, in Japan, very clear recently reinforcing it is not a security. And so it is freely traded uh, in Asia, in Japan. Um, Why is there such a divergence of opinion, even on a regulatory level? Well, personally, I think that what's happening is you're having this new asset class that is, you know, that has went from a 200 billion collective asset class to nearly a 2 trillion. And obviously the trend is upward. And so I believe you have regulatory agencies doing what we call the jurisdictional grab, right? That they want to be a part of it. They want to uh, extend their reach to this asset class. And even today you have the Commodities uh, Future Trade Commission uh, going after individuals using Dogecoin and other cryptocurrencies, yet You also have them saying that Ether and Bitcoin are commodities. And then you have the Securities Exchange Commission claiming that XRP is a security. And so uh, that kind of regulatory confusion or schizophrenia, if you will, is where we're at today. And unfortunately, the United States is falling way behind 
uh, other parts of the world. But one thing is clear, right? The SEC is there to look out for the interests of investors, the interests of individuals. The rules are in place to reflect, you know, you can't just go out and, you know, say something and not reveal a whole host of information to prospective investors, uh, take their money and then, you know, um, not have that fiduciary responsibility. The SEC and the law demands that you bear fiduciary responsibility. In this way, they have seen that XRP may or may not have done that, right? They allege that XRP behaves very differently than even Ethereum or Bitcoin. Because while on one hand, Ethereum and, and Bitcoin, there are mining aspects that continue, uh, that, that there is a decentralized army of nodes and miners uh, that, that mine, do the computational work to unleash, uh, you know, uh, uh, what that cryptocurrency is. XRP simply had a preset um, amount. There's no mining and there are handful of people at the very top who hold the majority of it and the rest go out to market. So that distinction has been reflected by the SEC. Can you help explain for people to understand why it behaves differently? And does the SEC have a point? Well, I don't really think that the SEC has clearly distinguished between Ethereum, for example, and XRP. Now, you've made a great point, which is the distinction that they've made is not in the operation of the token or the distributed ledger or the underlying technology. The distinction is that Ripple, the company, owns 45% of the outstanding circulating supply. And, and that is a, a unique difference than maybe Bitcoin or Ethereum. But operationally, uh, they have not made a distinction. And I would say that there's an argument, and I'm not here to defend Ripple. I'm here as XRP investors and I'd also want to also add that it's not just investors that I represent. It, I represent businesses who utilize the token itself in the operation of their business. They're not holding XRP so that it appreciates in price and that they sell it. They're using it operationally uh, themselves. And so that is a class of individuals that the SEC has no duty to. And so I just want to make that distinction. But if you go back to the origination uh, that Vitalik Buterin made of Ethereum, it was a security in the beginning. And I've made the point that a lot of these cryptocurrencies in the original originalization of the token, because it's more centralized, you only have a few people that are what we call sponsors, that it starts off as a security. And then it becomes sufficiently decentralized as time goes by. Here, you know, I know Brad Garlinghouse makes the distinction or the analogy that, that XRP is akin to a commodity such as oil and that ExxonMobil can own as many barrels of oil that it wants. It doesn't change it into a security. 
and that ripple just because they own the the 50% of the supply say that that doesn't make it a security. And that's for the government and ripple to fight it out. But what I can tell you is that the XRP sitting in my account on Coinbase or Uphold or any other exchange uh, and the uh, XRP that is held in literally hundreds of thousands of accounts of, of your viewers, for example, there's no way the SEC can claim in good faith that those are unregistered securities. You're a holder of XRP. I own XRP. I own Bitcoin. I own Ethereum and a few other uh, cryptocurrencies. As a lawyer, were you aware that potentially these regulatory, you know, handcuffs uh, might come down one day? No, I, I was shocked uh, that uh, I'm not shocked that the government now as an asset class becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, that they want to be involved and that they're going to, uh, you know, uh, seek jurisdiction, if you will, on the asset class. That doesn't surprise me. But what surprised me is that a token that has been publicly traded for seven and a half years, that its price uh, is correlated 100 percent to not what Ripple does, but to what Bitcoin does. So let's, let's face it, Bitcoin drives the market. And where Bitcoin goes, all other altcoins go. And so I was shocked that the, S, that the SEC would claim that today's XRP, you know, the one held in all of our accounts that, you know, people have never heard of Ripple. And, and there are people that simply saw a new asset class developing and they decided to diversify in that asset class and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a certain amount of money and I'm going to buy the top three or the top five market cap cryptocurrencies. And they've never heard of Ripple. They've never heard of the CEO or the chairman. And that's all they did. And, and so I'm shocked that the government has not come out and said and say and declare affirmatively, no, we're not claiming that that XRP is an unregistered security. We're only claiming the way that Ripple sells it, markets it is a security. And if they would come out and classify that and, and make that distinction, me and my 11,000 people that I know I represent and I'm speaking for, would go about our business and not try to be involved in this suit. But until the SEC makes that distinction, we're going to fight. How important did you feel uh, that you needed to have a seat at the table uh, on this lawsuit? Um, what has been the reality for XRP holders? Um, as you've said, uh, you know, as we've seen, the moment that that filing came down within weeks uh, and even earlier than that, uh, all most exchanges banned XRP from, from the market. And so <laughs> simply sucking the oxygen out uh, for XRP holders to even have uh, a liquidity and to, to have a market. Oh, absolutely. And some of the stories are absolutely heartbreaking. You know, the 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 SEC, um, you have to realize they still have not been able to explain why file suit 
the second to last day that former chairman Jay Clayton was chairman, when a new administration was coming in within 30 days, why file the case, even though you were warned by former executives of the Securities Exchange Commission that you were going to cause, just by the mere filing of the case, multiple billions in losses of innocent investors. And the stories that I've read are heart-wrenching. People uh, who inherited $50,000, their father's life savings, and decided to do what I said earlier, where they just put it all in uh, the top three. Or maybe they listened to someone and made the mistake of putting it all in XRP. And then to see the the price depreciate by 75% and then be halted and where you can, as you said, the liquidity, you can't, you just look at it. Your asset has been frozen and you have no optionality on how to, how to use it and how to do anything with it. And so uh, the government has yet to explain that. And, and I think it needs to be explained because I believe there are ulterior motives at play here. What are the next steps for you and clients to get your day in court? Well, as you said, I have till uh, April 19th. And what has happened is the judge has um, has basically given me permission to make the argument formally and gave me until April 19th to file my formal motion to intervene, along with a memorandum of law where I will try to persuade her that I meet the legal standard. When I say I, I mean all of the XRP holders and users, developers and businesses, and that we deserve that seat at the table um, because the SEC is making a claim that hurts us. And Ripple, uh, in order to defend themselves, they actually will prove that they don't owe a duty to XRP holders, right? We're not securities uh, holders. We're not shareholders. So Ripple will, in order to defend themselves, will say, we owe no obligation to these XRP holders. And so if Ripple's not going to make the argument for us and the SEC's not making the argument for us. So we have to make it for ourselves. And um, I'm, I'm confident that I can make the argument, uh, but you never know what a judge is going to do. Uh, all we can do is, is put our best foot forward. Well, you got a chance. SEC uh, had written a letter to U.S. District Judge Annalisa Torres arguing that XRP holders should not be permitted to intervene in the lawsuit, uh, that, you know, the purposes of relisting appear so that XRP's price could double, right? The, the uh, allegation that this lawsuit is actually very much in the self-interest of not only you, you are a self-admitted holder of XRP. Uh, obviously, all of the people that you represent are XRP holders. Could this legal move be simply a way to bump up the price? Well, let me, let me address that. I, I really appreciate that you brought it up because I will tell you, and I mean this not in a, a hyperbolic way, but that letter by the Securities Exchange Commission quite possibly the most misleading um, letter that I've ever seen submitted to a judge. For example, the comment that you stated. When I read that, where they claim, they actually named me as a movement Deaton, so motivation of is to get the XRP 
uh, unsuspended or relisted. So, and he said, so the price can double. And I remember saying to myself, I've never talked about the, the, the price of XRP. I can disclose to you, I've never lost money on XRP. Okay, this, this isn't about XRP the, that I own and the price appreciation. What I actually said that they intentionally misled the judge, what I said was that, as you may know, there was a movement in social media called Relist XRP. It was trending on Twitter. Thousands of people were uh, tagging the the exchanges saying Relist XRP. And I made a comment where I said, are you really confident that the that the Securities Exchange Commission is going to advise the exchanges that you can relist XRP? Because if they do, who knows, the price might double and then Ripple would have twice the amount of resources to fight the SEC. That's the direct quote. And yet the SEC absolutely intentionally, in my opinion, misled the, the court because they want to, you know, I guess, take shots at me and try to come up with some ulterior motive. But um, the other things that they misled the court by saying that there would be an avalanche potentially of XRP holders. There were five other plaintiffs and that's it. Five, not an avalanche, five. And those individuals Simply, they claim what the SEC is claiming. They sued Ripple, claiming that Ripple sold an unregistered security. Well, that's what the SEC is claiming. So they could never be successful in intervention because the SEC is making the same exact claim. I'm trying to seek intervention because the SEC is claiming, for example, on the record, they told the judge that they dispute whether XRP, the token itself, has any utility today. Well, that is absolutely, A, factually not true, but in, it is in the opposite interest of XRP holders and XRP users and businesses that utilize the XRP technology. You know, whether you think so or not, I actually think that this moment um, is really good for the industry. Um, it reflects... The, obviously, the, the lawsuit is quite painful for a lot of people, but it also reflects uh, an evolution of the conversation where more people are starting to understand value. And even from a regulatory point of view at the SEC, there is also a recognition, even with the change of administration, the change of, uh, you know, the uh, chairman uh, at SEC, um, uh, you know, and, and there, there is going to be a continued evolution. Um, and while this is painful, this, this moment, just like the Howey test in 1949, could be that defining moment for crypto. In your view, um, how significant do you think this could be for the future of all cryptocurrencies and potentially innovation? not only from the United States, but around the world? Well, I, I think that that's a very astute um, analysis. I guess what you just described is that we're experiencing growing pains, right? Growing pains of a new asset class, uh, needing regulatory clarity, being adopted, uh, uh, that seeks to 
up in maybe legacy institutions and, and players. And so uh, I understand what you're saying. And I think that history will probably prove you correct. I believe it is a critical moment because the SEC is not going to provide guidance. They're using this case as a way to test their theory. Um, since this case was filed, another case was filed by the SEC against a, uh, it's called library, uh, just I think in the last few days, where they're alleging that that cryptocurrency is also a security. And so um, this case is going to provide clarity because I will tell you this, that if the SEC is successful in declaring and getting XRP deemed a security, then get in line, whether it's XLM or Cardano or Algo, or I don't mean to discriminate, any other cryptocurrency, including possibly Ether, um, get in line because the government's going to come knocking on your door. And that's that's the concern even moving forward. Um, also conscious of the fact that XRP is being used in business transactions, um, cross-border uh, transactions, um, and really around the world, um, akin to you know the same way that we value a country's currency, right? Why is the U.S. dollar uh, so strong? Uh, you know, a lot of people are just making the bet that the U.S. economy that backs up that yeah, that that is reflected in the U.S. dollar in the same way that uh, the Japanese yen, uh, that economy and, and the way that it interacts in the global economy in the same way that we talk about China, in the way that we talk about every nation's sovereign currency. Uh, cryptocurrency is different in a way that, yes, there's a speculative nature when it comes to cryptocurrency, but there is also a business behind that protocol that implemented, uh, you know, in business or in enterprise or even in government uh, or DeFi or, or whatever it is, that there is value there as well. To your point, it's, you know, is it a commodity rather than a security? Well, I, I look at it like this. XRP is a product, right? Now, what I mean by that is, let's go back. You brought up Howie. All right. The Supreme Court never said that the oranges were a security. What they said was that the, the, the tracts of land called orange groves, the way that it was sold, along with a service contract that the company Howie would purchase the land, they would purchase the trees, they would water it, they would do all those things, and then they would sell the oranges, and then all of the investors would get the pro rated share of the profits. But the, they never came out and said the oranges themselves were securities. And so what we need to understand is that any asset, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, anything, can be used as a security by the way that it's being utilized by a business. but XRP is, to me, the oranges of the Howie test. And so what we need, and matter of fact, the last case, a lot of people look at the Telegram case out of the Southern District of New York, and the judge there actually 
in his second opinion, stated that Graham itself wasn't the security, but the way that the business scheme was orchestrated, that that was the security. And that's a very important distinction. You know, um, Chris Giancarlo, who is in charge of the digital dollar project for the United States government and a former chairman of CFTC, he stated that he, that XRP was a, and is a commodity. And even as early as or late, I should say, as January 2020, 11 months before the SEC filed the case against Ripple and XRP, the another CFTC chairman came out and said, well, we don't know if XRP is a commodity or a security. We're working with the exchange with the Securities Exchange Commission to determine. But 11 months later, the SEC comes out and says, oh, it's been a security since 2013. And so I think that that kind of confusion in the market is what is uh, what is driving uh, what's going on. I think that the SEC is engaging in regulation by enforcement. They really are basically, let's file the case. Let's see if we can get it deemed as a security. And if we do, then look at all these other projects that are developing that we'll be able to participate in regulating. Yeah, I, I spoke to uh, uh, SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce uh, shortly after the Ripple uh, lawsuit and asked her exactly that question. And and I think one of the most notable things that she said uh, was, you know, and this this is somebody who who's been given the loving moniker by the industry as crypto mom because uh, she she's uh, she seems to be um, you know uh, realizing that their innovation also needs to be supported by regulatory support. Um, and what she said was, you know, in her view, and of course it was a personal view, but generally speaking, she did not believe that uh, uh, regulatory clarity should be coming from enforcement. Uh, that there are other avenues for for clarity, um, but at the end of the day, what better to you know yell out and make a clear message by holding one example case to hold towards everybody else who might even be thinking about violating Bank Secrecy Act uh, by violating um, you know K KYC AML that you know. The, the government is going to come down hard in, in terms of whatever happens from this case. Do you think that will also dictate and perhaps influence what we're going to see from an agency level uh, in the United States? A absolutely. I think that. But I have to say that I think the regulation by enforcement, I understand that the concept of, OK, we're going to send a message that you need to comply uh, with the laws. You need to know your customers. You need to uh, make sure you're making the appropriate disclosures. That's great. But um, why not bring the case when you brought the 2017 ICO cases? There were several of them. Why not then? Why wait until seven and a half years later when your own former uh, CFTC chairmans are declaring that there's no distinction today between Ethereum and XRP. And so there's no doubt that the rest of the industry is watching. I I'm actually disappointed 
in the industry because there's too much tribalism. This case, you are 100% correct. This case is going to dictate the policy going forward with cryptocurrencies in the United States. And the other projects are sitting back and waiting with bated breath on the outcome, but there's no unity amongst the projects, right? It's the Bitcoin maximalists believe Bitcoin uh, is is the chosen one and that anything else is just, you know, not a good token and, and a waste of time. Uh, or they even call it scams and things of that nature. Um, but I think that if we don't have guidance and we're not going to get it, then we're going to get it from this case. Do you think there will be a moment where, or have we already reached this, that the concept of too big to fail is uh, become too big to shut down, that the the, the horse is out of the barn? Uh, and and uh, for regulators, um, you know, increasingly, you know, what is what is the challenge here to to you know affect change and and to create clear legal rails um, without having detrimental um, financial impact on millions of people because this actually affects you know, real lives and real businesses, as you've said. Well, you, you brought up Hester uh, Paris and Crypto Mom, and she, she had a great idea, and that was the safe harbor idea, where she basically said that we're going to give guidance, the SEC should give guidance, and you have three to five years. And if your token or digital asset is not sufficiently decentralized within that three to five year period, then the SEC will come knocking. And if it is, then you were given that sort of safe harbor uh, period of time uh, where you're not worried about violating regulations or having to spend millions of dollars in legal fees to fight it out in court. And you can actually focus on innovation. I think that's an amazing uh, idea. Unfortunately, she hasn't been able to convince her fellow commissioners uh, or the previous chairman uh, to uh, to come out and do that. And so until we have that, our only hope in the United States, and, and it's sad to me to say that, is the Congress. We need the United States Congress to come out and dictate which government agency is going to be in charge of regulating this developing asset class. Because I agree with you that the genie's out of the bottle. And that, you know, if you were going to suppress this asset class, it was when it's at 60 billion, 100 billion, 200 billion. It hits 2 trillion any day now. And you have now uh, some of the most legendary investors coming out and putting millions and millions of dollars and some billions into Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. So when you have the Teslas and the micro strategies, you know, actually making Bitcoin its primary uh, monetary reserve asset on its balance sheet. I just don't think the government's going to be able to come in and, and quash that. And so what we need is, is it the Treasury? Is it the commodities uh, uh, agency? Is it the Securities Exchange Commission? Is it the Department of Justice in FinCEN? 
you know, which agency, but when you have multiple agencies all going for their, what I call the jurisdictional grab to try to get their, their hooks into the asset class, uh, you're going to get this confusion in the market. And, and unfortunately, it's going to lead to suppression of innovation. And um, that's what's at stake, in my opinion. You you bring up a great point. What we're seeing, uh, uh, you know, outside of the U.S. is obviously the rest of the world, and the rest of the world is fairly big. Uh, and there is an arbitrage moment where, you know, in the early days, I think in chapter in the first inning, you know, of crypto, we saw uh, regulatory arbitrage where people went to either Seychelles or Gibraltar or Malta for that, you know, to 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 root into some sort of regulatory environment to now um, what we're seeing across Asia is for global uh, consumer class, con consumer um, uh, retail uh, and uh, institutional traditional investor class, uh, you're seeing cryptocurrency and this market being supported by some regulatory guidance. And, and what we're seeing is that arbitrage moment where is there a danger where the United States, by restricting the ability of its own citizens to either engage for varying reasons, that it becomes um, you know, increasingly disconnected from the moves and the innovations of cryptocurrency you know, in the rest of the world? Is there a bifurcation coming? Well, I think we're very close to it. And I'll tell you, you know, right now, uh, a lot of people believe that, um, for example, China wants to get the U.S. dollar off of being the world's reserve currency. And I believe that what's at stake with digital currencies and if the United States does not get up to speed that and, and adopt of the central bank digital currencies, the digital dollar, that it actually will help uh, the rest of the nations be more comfortable going away from the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. Maybe we go to a basket of currencies, of digital currencies. And so I believe that the U.S. government um, is at a very critical moment. I hope that Gary Gensler uh, realizes the moment uh, when he comes in and gets confirmed as the new chairman of the Securities Exchange Commission. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I we're so tri I was mentioning tribalism in the cryptocurrency world, but tribalism seems to be everywhere, right? And, you know, depending on who you voted for, you know, president, you, you don't speak to them anymore because they voted for one over the other. And, and you know, it's it's a very dangerous time. Uh, we are in a very, very critical moment. Uh, this asset class, uh, some has been, it has described it as the fourth industrial revolution. And the United States, which has led every revolution, doesn't seem to be taking the lead. Well, you're certainly taking the lead, uh, representing uh, more than 10,000, 11,000, as you said, uh, and representing uh, some real people and some real businesses uh, and giving them a voice at the table uh, in this lawsuit. 
Uh, we continue to watch what you're doing. We thank you so much, John, for uh, taking time out of <laughs> a very busy uh, season for you, especially with this suit. Um, is there a, is there something that you want to share with with XRP holders? Um, you know, you you are you are a class action guy. You're a trial attorney, uh, a formidable one uh, over the past uh, decade and a half. Um, what is it that you want to share with with your with your clients and and with XRP holders? Well, I want to first thank them because um, you know I I believe that what you what you put in sometimes in life it works out and you get out. A lot of people are shocked that um, I would spend this much time uh, going giving up my time to to fight this cause. But when you get the kind of reception that I've gotten, uh, when you uh, see these stories and you hear these people and and it just motivates you more um, the way I when I was prepared for, you know, a lot of criticism, to be honest with you, because no good deeds usually goes unpunished sometimes. And the opposite has happened. I sort of found myself at a crossroads in my own legal career where. Although I love my clients, I was a little getting a little jaded, you know, because of the business side, uh, fighting lawyers all the time, um, and the reception of these XRP holders and these businesses, small businesses, uh, has sort of lifted my spirits. And I know it sounds corny, but um, it's almost revived my um, my uh, belief in the human spirit and humanity, and so. Uh, if they're out there, I know that they're discouraged. Um, we're going to fight until we have no fight left. That's, I guess, the only message that I can give. And to say thank you. And to say thank you for you for giving us the opportunity to be heard. We really appreciate it. And I was just going to say thank you. Uh, and so let's all just mutually agree to, to say that this was uh, a very refreshing conversation where you, we really dug below the rhetoric uh, and and really got to the crux of the matter. There's a lot to discuss. Uh, clearly, clearly, there are points to be made, but uh, we will be watching closely to see if you do get to pull up that chair at the table. John Deaton, managing partner of the Deaton Law Firm, joining us on this latest episode of Word on the Block. And everyone, I want to thank you for joining us here. There's more to come. I'm Angie Lau, Forecast News Editor-in-Chief. Until the next time.